<laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of Watch If You Dare, a podcast that has been a long time coming. I am your host, Aaron Mansfield, and with me is my great spoopy co-host. Go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Derek Daywan Smith. I am the Scaredy Cat. So to give a little bit of background on this uh, this project, this podcast, I am a little wussy when it comes to horror movies, and I can't figure out why. I love the horror genre and a lot of other avenues, but for whatever reason, horror movies just... I've had a weird aversion towards them. So Mansfield is a horror film buff and I have agreed to what's probably the worst contract of my life that I'm going to force myself to watch these fucking movies so we can discuss this on a week to week basis. It's all for your health. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Horror movies are a very nice, easy way to let the steam out of our real horrible day-to-day existences um so it's kind of nice to have that pressure release valve that we can safely get a lot of our pent-up fears and anxieties out well and there there is something that goes along with the almost the rush uh, i guess is the best way to describe it it's almost being like an adrenaline junkie in a lot of ways where uh, we've just always had this weird fascination with horror in general um whether it be in our lives or like you were saying in in fiction i want to say that any other kind of form of art that you enjoy is a good way to de-stress but like mansfield was saying horror is a good release of those negative emotions and energies that seem to pop up what were some of like what what draw draws you to horror specifically in the in cinema I've always been attracted to kind of dark and macabre, spoopy things. I grew up in the South in a very religious household, and so that whole brand of mysticism was essentially kind of always around me. There was something about the more forbidden, taboo, oopy-doopy side of that that was always appealing to me for some reason. Um, We always used to do like a fall festival kind of thing because, you know, Halloween's bad. We would still dress up. And there was still something about having all the trappings of Halloween just without the monsters. (laughs) I I never knew that about you. So you never actually called it Halloween, but you just did Halloween. (laughs) I mean, essentially, like, our family did not do Halloween growing up. Right. Uh, It gradually seeped in, and it was something that, as an adult, I really embraced because we didn't really have it growing up. And it was weird because there were times where we could acceptably watch horror movies or watch things that were scary as long as they were things that our parents approved of one way or the other um so for instance i saw poltergeist at a much too young age but because my mom like saw that in college with my grandfather she has some nostalgia for it and was like yeah let's watch poltergeist why not um you're seven (laughs) 
Man, that fucking clown scene, if I would have seen that when I was seven, I would have, that would have scarred me. The clown never bothered me. Really? Uh, Yeah, the clown never bothered me. Clowns don't scare me. Clowns don't do it for me. So, again, this is another one of the things that we'll discuss in the podcast is what scares us, how and why it psychologically does what it does to us. Um, And obviously, Derek and I will have very different flavors as far as our fears are concerned um so some movies are going to work better on one or the other of us and we're just going to talk about why so that's a chunk of what this podcast is designed to do is to allow people who maybe have similar fears to decide hey is this a movie that's maybe too intense for me what do these guys have to say oh hmm okay they say it's not that bad maybe let me give it a try and check it out you know so hopefully we'll turn people on to some really good cinema as a result yeah absolutely and i i am going to be everyone's guinea pig on in that regard of dipping my toes into horror cinema and getting deeper and deeper and deeper until i drown myself it's weird because like i'd mentioned a little bit earlier or alluded to rather horror has always been a fascination of mine as well it's just been a fascination of mine and every other kind of art form but movies and maybe tv shows as well um i love horror video games i've been playing horror video games probably since the ps1 era uh i still play horror video games they're some of my favorite um alien isolation comes to mind as one of the more recent ones that i just loved and i love horror comics i love horror novels I even listen to a bunch of other podcasts that are horror-oriented, and they don't bother me. I find them fascinating, enjoyable, a lot of fun. I guess because there is a degree of control still, although that doesn't necessarily... It doesn't necessarily uh, translate well to podcasts, but I guess listening and not just listening and having people just talk about scary topics is is one thing rather than being shown it in some way but even books and novels don't get me but i guess with movies is i don't have any control once like say if i'm in a movie it's this weird mindset of mine where once i'm watching a movie i don't have any control even though at any point i can either get up and walk out of the theater or turn off the tv or whatever but in my mind when it's going on i have no degree of control and whereas in a video game even if i'm playing as a completely defenseless character in this like madhouse you still are in control of the actions that are happening to a point depending on what game you're playing again i don't know it's a very weird situation going on in my brain so along that line are you a lucid dreamer i've had a couple lucid dreams i've had one or two night terrors that i can remember but otherwise not on the regular no okay just curious because that's the whole idea of control and lucid dreaming and everything else that's fears, yay, things we're going to be talking about. So, to kick off this inaugural episode, I chose what I feel is probably the scariest movie I've ever seen. Uh, It may not necessarily be the scariest movie that you guys have ever seen, But this is by far the one that has stuck with me the most. It has gotten under my skin the most, especially over time, just because so many different facets of this movie reveal themselves the older you get and the more that your life situation changes and your focus and what you care about in life changes. And we are actually 
45 years and 10 days. That's insane. To the exact date of which the movie was supposed to actually take place. Um, we are also just a few days out from Mr. Hooper's death, um, which deeply affected me last year um, for reasons we will discuss later. Um, but the movie, of course, that we are going to discuss is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, and at any point, I I picture a chainsaw coming through the wooden door that I'm staring at right now that I've closed in the room that I'm recording in at any point when we're, we're in the middle of this episode. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an interesting movie for me. Um, I think it was a fantastic first choice because it's a movie that I can tolerate. Um, it's the type of horror that doesn't bother me too badly uh, for whatever reason realistic type horror and, and you know realistic quote-unquote to a sense where the things that are happening aren't necessarily supernatural it's it's all people for some people that makes it more terrifying maybe for yourself Mansfield that that's why it's all the more terrifying but for me I actually was able to withstand this movie per- relatively well it didn't really get me too bad didn't bother me too bad there were a couple times last night where, again, I thought I was going to hear my bedroom door just get chopped the fuck down by a chainsaw at any point. But otherwise, it did get me too badly. But as far as an actual movie in general, it is fucking fantastic. For the time that it came out, the way it was shot and everything, I, I could find very little flaws in, in it. But we'll, we'll get more into that. Uh, what else do you have to add to it before we start like getting into the nitty gritty and spoilers of it? Um, so one thing I would like to say is, you know, presentation matters. I am very much a stickler for quality in my cinema. Um, I have a decent TV. I have a pretty extensive Blu-ray collection. Um, I have a nice audio setup. So, you know, not to brag about it, but uh, presentation does matter to me, and this is one of those movies where 100% how you watch it makes a difference. It is so loud and vile, and the soundtrack behind it, if you can even call it a soundtrack, it's more just audio expressionism, I guess. It is so intense, and if you don't have headphones on, or you don't have your audio just cranked up to 11 you're not going to have the same impact at all. You know, if you're just watching it on a laptop, it's not going to be the same. You know, this is a movie that literally scared the piss out of my dogs this morning um, when all of a sudden you just, you know, out of nowhere hear that wham kick in. Um, Just freaked my dogs out bad. So just presentation does make a big difference. Now, uh, Derek was watching via Shudder. Shout out to Shudder. If they ever want to hop on and sponsor us one of these days. <laughs> That's the, the ballsy move on the first episode. <laughs> Shudder is by far my favorite streaming service. Uh, they are well worth checking out. There's lots of good stuff on there. So that's how Derek watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre. and uh, No fucking shit. The door opened by itself what it seemed like because I'm sitting at my desk and I can't see like the like the whole door I almost jumped out of this chair and it was my damn cat somehow she was able to get the door open I guess it didn't shut it all the way anyway continue I just had to throw that in there 
This movie does have lots of doors opening and people coming through really suddenly and unexpectedly. Yeah, I mean, this movie is still incredibly impactful for a movie that's 45 years old. This movie was made during a time in which the country was like just barely starting to heal from the Vietnam era. Um, the promise of the 60s and the whole hippie thing had finally kind of crashed and was coming back around to reality again. And you saw a lot of reflection going on with filmmakers like Toby Hooper at the time. Whether, you know, he had something to say or whether it was just the zeitgeist seeped into the look of their work. Um, lots of directors, especially hard directors, were putting out stuff in that time period that was very reflective you know, of the time that they lived in. And, you know, I feel like with the current climate that we have now, we're going to have a lot of interesting horror movies in the next couple of years, for sure. Um, but the movie, like you mentioned earlier, has a very documentary-style look. It looks very much like the raw news footage that we were seeing come from Vietnam. And it has a very almost found footage effect to it. Um, it's very sweaty. It's very gross. It's very much like watching a snuff film yeah li literally like one of the first decomposing corpses you see literally there's a part in it where it like the top of the mouth just drips like part of the rotting flesh down to the bottom of the mouth and even just small little details like that capture that grimy feeling i texted i texted mansfield this like two days ago when i watched it the first time it is the dirt person horror movie. Oh, yeah. Like, this is a horror movie made for dirt people, but I mean that in the most sincere and good way. I, I now understand, like, where Rob Zombie gets his influences and many other horror movies get their influences. All the, like, mid-2000s Lionsgate horror movies all owe their influence, including the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all owe their influence to the original Toby Hooper. Oh, totally. I mean, we... We might get around to some Rob Zombie one of these days, but House of a Thousand Corpses is 100% just his reimagining of Texas Chainsaw, like to a T. You know, he even copies a lot of the same stylistic bits and pieces um, with the, you know, the title cards being in that kind of weird negative photographic kind of odd look and you know, the family dynamic and the house and just the junk and trash everywhere. I mean, you're absolutely right. This is this is a movie about just dirt people. And that's part of why this movie works for me. It is a movie that could happen. 100%. Like, this movie could happen, has happened. Um, so that's also part of the backstory of this movie is that it is very much based around the real-world story of Ed Gein. You know, weird old dude living in Wisconsin, dug up bodies in the graveyard and made furniture and lampshades and nipple belts out of all the uh, corpses. So, fun times. Something that kind of popped in my mind. So, I tried to I put myself in the mindset that, despite the fact that I was watching this, you know, through Shutter and on streaming services, but I tried to put the, myself in the mindset of, I'm in the 70s. I'm going to see this movie for the very first time. The presentation of, uh, like Mansfield was saying, where it's documentary style, all, like almost found footage, works really, really well because, and they even set it up in the opening narration. Um, I guess we can start getting into spoilers a little bit. FYI, if you haven't seen the movie and you want to know or you want to watch it before you listen to us, then stop right here, go watch it, come back, just just so you know, in terms of an actual movie, 
fucking fantastic. It's a classic for a reason. That's all I got to say critically about it. And Mansell, do you have anything critically to add before we get into the spoilers? It's 45 years old, Bitus. Just if you if you haven't seen it at this point, that's why you're listening to this podcast. So, you know, either way. Fair, fair point. You know, for sure, check this one out. Um, Derek has already given you his early stamp of approval. Um, so we will discuss a little more spoilerific going forward. Yeah, and for you cowards out there like me, I will also give a little bit of a, a roundup and towards the end of the podcast, kind of rating it and telling you how if it, how is it too intense or whatever to be like one of the first movies you start with. But anyway, so like uh, getting back to what I was saying, I tried to put myself in that mindset of of moviegoer back in the seventies, seeing this movie for the very first time, and I think it would have worked on me like a charm to convince me that this was. A true story, or at least the events were relatively true. The opening narration is a very nice touch because they do, they, they, right at the start of the movie, they portray it like it is a true story. I actually did get my first jump scare within two minutes of the movie with the first camera whine because they're using a camera that flashes. It makes like this whining noise, and the whining noise. Talk about audio. Uh, expressionism or abstract sounds like Mansfield was saying they almost incorporate it into some parts of the soundtrack but anyway the the camera it's obviously investigators at the scene of a crime taking pictures of a body it just comes out of nowhere in that first two minutes and I, that when that happened I was like oh fuck I I'm going I'm not going to make it through this movie I'm going to stop halfway and just turn it off and then lie that I watch the rest of it because if I'm already getting spooked two minutes into it I'm fucked as we get into it, it gets better in terms of the jump scares and everything like that. But you, uh, there's also a radio report that is that is going over this as as it, as you're seeing more of the camera shots and it's slowly unwinding to show like the this rotting effigy of corpses at a graveyard and the radio reports of this like local Texas town are basically they're setting up like a lot of foreshadowing and just like parts of the movie they're talking about. Uh, somebody basically did what did what Ed Gein did. They robbed the the grave uh, graveyard of bodies, and but there were also other reports of like just random acts of violence happening around the country and and around the the town. And it was a nice touch to just kind of set up how intense you this movie is going to be. Well, not just that, but also just to give it to give you the audience the impression that oh hey yeah this happened. And it can happen to you. You know, it happened here yes. in this little, like, yes. sleepy Texas town. Guess what? Like, shit like this is happening all over the country. So it's just a matter of time before, you know, you have a cannibal family living down the street from you. That's ultimately where, where this movie gets me, is boops and ghouls and monsters and aliens is fun. And that works for a lot of people. Um, Derek, I know you're especially kind of on the lighter side of uh, supernatural stuff. That that definitely seems to be kind of more your thing. Oh yeah, demons scare the fuck out of me. <laughs> For me, it's the real world violence that really truly bothers me and gets under my skin. Not a not an overt horror movie, although I would I would say it's a horror movie. Um, that's Jeremy Saulnier's picture from two years ago. That was just about a band getting stuck in a bar run by neo-nazis and they see something they shouldn't have seen and well okay y'all can't leave now and the movie progresses from there that movie fucked me up 
And it's because there's just a really raw sense of real world violence there, and it's people. You know, there's nothing supernatural about it. There's no possession. There's no anything. It's just people doing fucked up things. And it's scary because you can imagine it happening to you. And you can imagine it happening to your family and your friends. And it is something that's very plausible to happen. It happens all over the world and has many times over. And that's where this movie really does get to me because the family in this movie is just a bunch of old dirt boys. And they live in a gross house. And it's that house that you see on the side of the road in every small town. Dude, you read my mind because I was going to say this movie has such a vast influence over just everything. Not just pop culture, but just even the way now on modern times, the jokes that we crack when we're driving along the highway on a road trip and you it's probably all over the country but especially in the southeast and the midwest you're driving through so much rural country i can't tell you how many times you drive by and in the distance you can see abandoned houses or buildings that make no sense of why they're even there and they're like brush has overgrown it or you'll just see random trails that obviously somebody lives at the end of that trail and you can't see how far it extends down and it's their private property and god knows it goes somewhere yeah it goes somewhere. And so now we, we joke about it when we're riding the car of like, oh, bet the family of cannibals lives there. And would you say that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the reason for that? Uh, that kind of idea in our heads now that out in the country and the South can be a scary place? Totally. And rural places can be. Because rural places now, in my mind, are scarier than cities. Even though more bad shit could probably happen to you in the cities than they could in the rural areas. Oh yeah, I mean, just just wait till we get around to stuff like, you know, Maniac. That said, I mean, before something like Texas Chainsaw, that was just the country. Very true. And that was just who lived in the country. And you valued your privacy and you valued your space. So that was normal. It was normal to just like live off the beaten trail, you know, out in the middle of the woods and have your own weird space where you just did whatever you wanted. You know, that was just normal life in the South. And that's normal life throughout a lot of like rural America in general. It's just people that live on their own land and do what they want to do. And cars pile up and trash piles up and there's animals and there's who knows how many people living in the house and it's gross and you see those gross houses and you just have to wonder like what is going on in there like is something bad happening like is this just like an episode of tlc's like hoarders waiting to happen (laughs) right right or are they like murdering children and bringing them back and making lampshades out of them god could you imagine the episode of hoarders where they show up and they just get fucking murdered by the texas chainsaw massacre family but and I mean that might seem like an exaggeration, but I've been on enough road trips and I, I, I just did a twenty hour drive not too long ago and I can tell you that, that it's warranted. You see enough of that kind of crazy shit where even on just the outside, even if people do live in that house on the outside you can tell that it's just gross, like you were saying. Mention you mentioned how kind of our viewpoints now in the modern age are probably very different when i was watching this movie i kept writing down 70s hippies are way too trusting totally or if this took place in the late 60s but then i started thinking i was like what if this was just the way a lot of people were they were very trusting of other people yeah because i mean there were a few serial killers at this point that were well that were known but it still hadn't really exploded like it, it like it took off like i give them a little more credit as characters 
because again, I tried to put myself in that seventies mindset of maybe that this is kind of normal behavior of hippie teenagers in the sixties and seventies. But in my mind, like in my modern mind, I'm like, fuck this. They are way too trusting. They kind of walked right into this in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. I mean, nowadays, like if you saw a dude like the hitchhiker, just like shuffling along with a weird little like muskrat neck pouch thing. I don't know what the hell that is, but two dollars. It's a it's a good yeah. picture. It's a good picture. You should take it, mister. Two dollars. It's a good picture. Uh, that guy's chop top, right? He becomes chop top. He's not. Um that's Oh that okay. is actually a common gotcha. misconception because spoiler alert, at the end of this movie he gets fucking beefed by that truck. At the beginning of Texas Chainsaw Two, which is a very different movie tonally for a variety of reasons at the beginning of that movie there's a gag where somebody we can assume probably chop top is driving like a big bronco and leatherface is in the back and they're kind of driving alongside these you know yuppie frat douches and trying to scare them and leatherface has the like dead body of the hitchhiker from the first movie their brother like marionetting like puppeting him on the side of the car, like, trying to scare the guys. And they make some reference to him. His name's, like, Vernon or Glenn or something like that. They, they like, the cook says his name, like, one time in that movie. Um, but that's who that is supposed to be, actually. Was it the same actor who played Chop Top, though? Or no? Um, Was it no, actor? Bill Mosley plays Chop Top in Texas Chainsaw 2. But, uh, and kind of right around the 35-minute the mark is kind of when things really start taking off. So... You have these group of hippies, and it's a group of five of them. Uh, three men, two women. One of the men is in a uh, wheelchair. Actually, in the opening narration in the credits, they the opening credits they even state that this tragedy that happened to these children, and they even made a point to point out that one of them was, was handicapped. On surface level, it sounds like it's making it mean-spirited, but just the way this, the cultural impact and the way this movie is shot, I don't think it's just mean-spirited. I think, in a, it, it, I think Toby Hooper was smarter than that when he was filming this on the surface it does kind of come off as mean-spirited but i think that might be the point so you have this group of hippies and they're traveling across texas to go to a family member's house like their grandfather's house uh so the impression that i got because the beginning is kind of vague um the impression that i get is that because of the grave robbings that were happening this group of hippie youth essentially just kind of breeze through the area because they wanted to see whether or not their grandfather's tomb had been desecrated um and that was one of the first kind of places that they go and then i guess they just figure they'll you know head on to the house and hang out and then go back yeah and, and on the way they stop at like a or, or they pick up a hitchhiker right off the bat this hitchhiker is it's so obviously that this guy is fucking nuts we mentioned a little bit earlier how he takes their picture at one point and wants money he takes one of the guy's knives and cuts his own hand and like starts laughing about it and everything. What now is a cliche, but at the time was probably a very ground very uh, groundbreaking. Um, just that cliche of the psycho hippie. Eventually, they've had enough and they kick him out of the van, and that's when he rubs his hand on the van. Like he runs after the van for a little while and he rubs blood all over the the van. And they keep, like, even the, the, it's a little bit on the nose, but even the characters mention and poke fun, because one of them is freaking out, so they poke fun at him, like, oh, he's marked our van, he's marked you, he's coming back to kill us all, which, foreshadowing. Yeah, I, I do definitely like how it's not just, and again, this goes back to just, you know, 
rural America being kind of creepy. When they go to the cemetery initially, even the people at the cemetery are weird. The first guy that they talk to is like creepily kind of hitting on one of the girls and it's like, yeah, 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 this this lady over here wants to go look at her. Hey, yeah, come on, come, come with me, come with me. I got you, baby. And then there's like the weird like old drunk sheriff guy like sitting in the tire and who's just sta- and god it's such a gorgeous shot with like the texas sun and the heat and that yellow but with him just laying upside down on that tire and just drunk off his ass just saying like i've seen things you know so you get just this weird sense that like something's off about the entire area And obviously, like, we run into the family later, but just, you still get the sense that, like, they're not the only thing wrong with where we are. Yeah, I called, I I wrote down in my notes that he is the drunk oracle for the movie. Oh, yeah. Because he he very much, again, it's it's more foreshadowing, and a lot of it is on the nose, but just the way it's portrayed, like Mansfield is saying, the the setting, the the feeling of uneasiness, even though this movie isn't terrifying, at least to me, you, it makes you feel uneasy and creeped out the entire time. And um, hot. There isn't a moment. And sweaty. And hot, yes. And just yes, gross. Yes. Like, the way the way that they capture that Texas just sweltering humidity and heat is something that you don't understand unless you're really from the South like Derek and I, where you know what that feels like and you're just, you're gross and you feel like you need to take a shower at all times. And even, even the, just the sounds of nature around you, like all the bugs that are making noises, the crickets, everything else uh, throughout the movie, it, it's very reminiscent of rural South anywhere you go. So they get to, they arrive to what I think is their, uh, it is, again, it's portrayed as being a little bit vague, but they first arrive to an empty house. Which is supposed to be their grandfather's house. That is supposed to be their grandfather's house. Because yeah. I, I wrote that as their grandfather's house, but I wasn't 100% sure. They get there and it's kind of empty and they're walking through it. And there are moments of, I, I don't want to say like, there are no jump scares, but there are moments of like kind of false freakouts. Um, like at one point, a guy walks into the room and then the camera zooms in on a, like a family of spiders in the corner of the, the room, like just all creeping about basically. And it makes the noise that the spiders are making, or at least a noise similar to it. So there are moments like that. So again, it's all this slow build of uneasiness. And keep in mind, again, in the first two minutes of this movie, they showed us an effigy that true crime, uh, or a true detective rather, definitely, at least season one, definitely kind of took uh, homage to. Um, but it, it's this effigy of, of human bodies and talk about a, a you mentioned a beautiful shot I thought that shot was beautiful as fucking freaky and gross as it is um, just the way it, 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 it was shot as the body is just it's almost like a, a gargoyle guarding the uh, the graveyard it, it's it's very very well done oh yeah um, Daniel Pearl's cinematography in this movie is amazing yeah, the whole thing is just gorgeous and the way that he captures texas is really really amazing so before they get to the house to back up a minute they do stop at a gas station oh yeah gas station run by the cook but there's also another dude who's there like just kind of half-ass washing the windshield while they're talking um where does that guy go every night because he's 
there's no way he's like not part of this family somehow, but he must just like sleep at the gas station or something because he's not in the rest of the movie. Yeah, he, and like he acts when he's not washing their their car, he's like just staring at the sky for no reason, not making any noises. He's like staring right at the sun the entire time, just like yeah, burning out yeah. his retinas. Um, but yeah, just that weird-headed guy and just ugh, it's all. It's all gross. We also get our first indication of the meats. Um, there's, you know, barbecue going on at the gas station, which that's very common throughout the South if, you know, you've never been to this area of the country. They also talk about the slaughterhouse that's there and how they can all just smell the, like, gross stench of death through that entire stretch of the highway. And that's also very common throughout, you know, parts of America when you come across, you know, a slaughterhouse or a stockyard, just that smell of you know, sick and decay and gross that kind of builds onto the atmosphere of this entire movie. And they had that full conversation in the van too about how they just changed up how they slaughter cows. Like they, I think they, it was something like they used to hammer their skulls in, but then they now used like, like what the guy uses in No Country for Old Men, the pressure gun. Yeah where it just shoots pressure in their skull and kills them instantly. Now that I'm thinking about it, the whole idea of a hammer getting like hammered into your skull to kill you is interesting because there are at least like two people who, who eat it in that, that way. Oh, totally. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Was there anything else you wanted to add before we get into the house and really the madness starts? There's, there's a lot of atmosphere and just mundanity that's built up in this first 30 minutes where... You might feel like it's kind of slow, but definitely stick with it. You know, this is a movie that becomes really intense really quick, but it takes a little while to get there, and it does so for you to kind of get to know these characters and have at least a modicum of empathy for them when they start to, you know, bite it one by one. Um, but that mundanity where there is just some one thing or two things off you know, you go to your grandparents' house and you expect it to be this welcoming kind of environment, not an empty fucking house in the middle of nowhere. You want to go, like, swim at the water hole, and guess what? It's literally just, like, a hole in the ground that's completely dry. Just, there's something wrong about every little thing that's going on in the beginning of that movie that kind of leads up to, you know, where we're ultimately going to go. Uh, but that mundanity does a lot to really kind of build the tension in the atmosphere, and just throw you off that much more when you finally get inside that fucking house and you see what's going on. Even if it, quote-unquote, moves a little slow, it kept my interest the entire time. That Because, uh, I, like I said, I, I might have I felt calm, but I was also uneasy at the same time through that entire slow build. It, it, it piqued my interest. I wanted to know more in a really fucked-up way. Like, you know, a part of me is like, you absolutely don't want to learn more, but then... The other part of me is like, no, no, keep watching, see what happens. Something is, this this is going to end one way or the other, and you want to know how. I would say that, especially for people who are kind of newcomers to horror in general, I don't think you'll have a problem making it to the real, like, intense scenes of this movie because it, it will capture your interest. If it captured my interest uh, as well as it did, I, I'm pretty confident that most audiences would, would feel the same. I would say, I would say if there's like one thing that's going to throw you off on this movie, it's going to be fucking Franklin. Franklin is by yes. far 
yes one of the most annoying characters in any movie ever and i can say that with 100 percent certainty for i i felt sympathetic towards franklin a little bit but yes when he, whenever he talked or spoke i just yeah he, he was he was annoying yeah there's there's something about that performance that just puts me on edge and maybe it's purposeful i'm sure that actor is making some choices there but dear lord like every time that he just yells sally i just want to punch a hole in the wall um, so if anything throws you off, it's gonna be him. And yeah, it's a, he's supposed to be a sympathetic character. He is sympathetic to a degree, but at the same time, he's just the worst. Well, and, and he's realistic. I mean, not, that's the thing too, that a lot of these characters, even if, even if 45 years later, we, we now live in a different cultural climate, I still felt like these people could have lived and these people could have existed at one point or another. There were no characters, oh, totally. even yeah. Franklin, even Franklin, like there were no characters that were over too over the top for me or too unbelievable. Like even Franklin, somebody like that, I can picture somebody like that in my head right now. Yeah. So like I said, we keep mentioning that it's the first 30 minutes. Cause right around the 35 minute mark is when like, Shit starts happening and it doesn't stop to the teens or I don't know are they teenagers in this movie is that how old they uh, are they're or like are they young, more young they're like young, adults? young to mid twenties they're young adults I would say so two of them go off to like look for this watering hole and obviously it, it's set up that they're a couple and they're probably gonna like go spend time alone at this watering hole well they get to the watering hole like Mansfield mentioned earlier shows up it's dried it's dried out it's just a pit basically then they start hearing a generator. And they're at they're, they need gas um, because when they stopped at the gas station earlier with the cook, he was saying that they they were out of gas. So they they follow the noise and they're walking through a field and everything to this generator that's just sitting there in the middle of this driveway. The pathway leads up to the house, uh, another house, and so they go explore it. Kirk, of course, is being like the typical horror trope guy, just like. Let's let's knock on the door and see if anyone's home to help us out. So they start knocking on the door. No one's answering. The door slowly creaks open on its own. Oh, I was just about to say, like, right as they're on the porch, by the way, a fucking tooth. Yes. Just, yes. like, falls from nowhere. A tooth just, like, you just hear, like, this little clatter on the, like, wooden deck of the porch. And it's just a molar and Kirk just leans over and picks it up, and it's just like, huh, look at the... No, like, no mystery teeth are, like, good. Like, there's nothing good about that. So this is kind of like... Uh, I kind of thought of these characters as a dumb Scooby gang, just without Scooby. Totally. Like, they are the Scooby gang, basically. <laughs> I mean, what would really happen if the Scooby gang was trying to investigate uh, something like this? So he shows her the molar. She obviously freaks out. And she's like, let's just leave. And he's like, no, we need the gas. So she goes off and sits in the yard and keeps asking him, like, don't, don't, let's just leave. I feel weird. I feel uneasy about this place. He wanders down the hallway of the house. He goes to the door, wanders down the hallway. You start seeing little glimpses of what's going on in the house that will get revealed later on with other characters. And already right off the bat, you can tell that this place is fucked to shit. He starts hearing these noises down the hallway and he walks down the hallway and he notices this like room or this or this other walkway like it turns a corner and on the wall are a bunch of uh, stuffed 
animals and, and animal heads and things like that. Right when he's walking into the hallway, Leatherface just jumps out and hammers him, like nails him with the hammer. I didn't mark this down as a jump scare for me because it didn't really get me, but it could be a jump scare for you who are, are very easily frightened because it does happen very suddenly. I was more in a little bit of shock of just like, whoa, okay, what the fuck? And he just like starts hammering the guy's head in. I know this movie was made in the 70s, and maybe it's because of the practical effects that they had to use practical effects more than than they do now. But it felt very and creepily, like weirdly realistic. Like like this is what a murder would look like with a guy bashing somebody else's head in with a hammer. It, It looked believable enough, to me at least. And it's not like a repeated like whack 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 kind of thing like it's just one because again this is a dude who's like been in a slaughterhouse working in a slaughterhouse killing fucking cows with a sledgehammer right so this is just like one good wet just and that's it you just hear like that impact and he drops hits the floor starts like twitching and Leatherface gives him another good whack to kind of finish putting him out. But it's just the most visceral, just all of a sudden realistic thing. Because what would happen if you got hit in the fucking head with a sledgehammer? That's what would happen. There's nothing showy about it. It's very quick, and it's very gross, and it's very realistic. And the whole the whole thing takes, like, what? That whole scene takes, like, 15, 20 seconds, like, from the time he walks into that gets and Leatherface jumps out at him. Yeah. Like and it's we, quick. We keep saying Leatherface, which for you who have no concept of this movie, it's a dude who's like six foot fucking seven, wearing a dirty apron, and another person's face. He literally just has another person's face on his face wearing it as a mask and it's not like a perfect mask like in fact it's purposely like really kind of shitty janky and shitty like put together in a really shit way but it makes it even creepier that it's like not it's a mask it's It's a mask a child would make that's that's exactly the purpose it's a mask that a child would make that's made to be you know kind of a facsimile of something that's you know maybe comforting but it just comes off as gruesome but then yeah just whack drop another whack and then leatherface just slams this giant fucking metal door and that's it 15 20 seconds and like you it's so fast that it kind of does leave you in a little bit of shock of just like okay this movie just became something way different it's the first like true oh fuck moment of the movie for sure so pam she like she can't hear anything because the generator is going on in the yard she doesn't hear any of that shit that happens in the house like obviously like he's not coming out and she can't hear him so she starts looking like slowly walking making her way into the house she doesn't go down the hallway she starts looking into a room to the left like as soon as you walk into the house it's like a parlor living room kind of thing yeah and she sees the first thing comes to like in her view is a chicken in a bird cage just hanging there still alive clucking and everything this this next scene captures what i think having a panic attack in a nightmare hell room would be like because the the camera just starts like it's quick shots it starts quick shotting a little bit around the room showing you little more glimpses of madness then it quick shots to her like in her freaking out that this is like the ed gein room you're seeing like the lampshades made of human bones and skin 
there's fucking shit all over the floor, body parts, bones, everything. Well, it's it's all stuff that's like in it's all like put together in such a strange way cuz again, this is all just like art. This is a kid playing with like macaroni and string and glue, right? So it's normal stuff, I'd say normal, but I mean it's stuff like, oh, there's a skull, but it's a skull with like a ram's horn like going through the mouth and out the like base of the skull and it's hanging upside down like some kind of weird mobile like there's just so much of that garbage around everywhere there's feathers all over the floor you know that room reeks it just smells like chicken shit and rot and mold and dust just so gross so gross and she trips and falls into the like mess of this room and is freaking out as she realizes what like disgusting abattoir she's you know run into and just slowly loses her mind a bit yeah she starts gagging at one point the performance is very well done i don't know i I didn't look up the actors and actresses names but um she she they all had solid performances uh, for what it was. So understandably, she freaks out. She like struggle, like stumbles out of the room. And Leatherface, like I guess, was hearing the noise or or something. He opens that big metal door up again, and he's standing at the end of the hallway. Sees her. She freaks out. Tries to like stumble and get away from him. He sprints after her, and he he's fucking fast. And then the next shot is to the porch, and it's her like getting out onto the porch. Like, getting through the screen door and Leatherface just grabbing her from behind and, like, bringing her back in. Just as she crosses the threshold, he just grabs her with both arms around the waist and just pulls her. Not, like, with one arm by the shoulder or by the hand. Like, he's like a fucking bear trap and just grabs her entirely and picks her up and hauls her back in that house. And again, that's just another one of those, like, you're fucked like, there's no getting away from this at this point. And then what was the thing that made me cringe the most in this movie was what he does to her next. He then brings her back into that, and we, for the first time we see his his slaughter room or the kitchen or whatever you want to call it. The guy uh, that he, uh, Kirk, is his body is already there on the table, so she sees that, freaks out. He picks her up and puts her on a meat hook, just on, like, bareback. Like, cause she, her, the shirt she's wearing, it ties around her neck, so her back is bare. It's just skin. He picks her up and just, like, hooks her on, like, and so, like, the hook is, like, digging into her spine or skin or whatever, and she's just hanging there, and there's, like, a bucket that obviously he's used on slaughtering people and other things. It's a blood bucket, and she's just over it, and then the next scene we see, and the next thing we see is Leatherface pull out the chainsaw, and he's about to go to work cutting up the body of Kirk as she's just hanging there by her skin on the meat hook, just fucked, like you were saying, just totally fucked. So all of that sounds awful, and it is. Was there a drop of blood in that entire moment? No, out of, out of at least out of the live people. Like, there was dried blood and grime everywhere, obviously. There's no gore. There's no fresh gore or, or uh, yeah, there's no fresh gore at all. Yeah, in, in this entire movie, with the exception of, like, the hitchhiker, like, cutting his hand, and then later when they, like, cut Marilyn Burns' finger, you know, there there is, like, blood in innocuous places. Um, she, you know, later in the movie, she's got her face covered in blood. There's no, like, murder gore for all the craziness going on. Like we just said, like him throwing this girl on a meat hook and then 
carving up a body with a chainsaw. You see nothing. There's no blood. This movie having the reputation that it has and just being about the subject matter that it is, fairly tame on the like violence and gore graphicness scale. It's kind of like Mad Max because uh, Mad Max also has that reputation, but there's re- I can't remember there being really that much like fresh gore shown on screen. Like there's some fucked up shit that happens, but n- the way it's shot like you never actually see like the the blood and guts of it. Yeah, so much as either cutaways or you're just at the wrong angles. Then uh it cuts back to the 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 three survivors that are that are just hanging out at the van. It's getting to be the point where they they don't know what happened to the other two. So one of the other guys, he leaves behind Sally and Franklin. He leaves them behind basically saying, "Look, I'll go look for them. Y'all chill here." He does the same like it's very oddly mirroring what happened to the first two. He does kind of the same thing. Like he wanders around. He hears the generator. He goes towards the generator. He sees this new house uh, behind the generator. Walks into, walks up to the uh, the porch. Kind of knocks, sees everyone there. Starts going in. He starts walking down the hallway. He actually makes it into the room that Leatherface was just in, cutting up Kirk's body. The table's cleared. And so he walks in and he's kind of like, he's very uneasy at this point because obviously he's seeing just all the grime and shit everywhere. He starts hearing a noise in the freezer. Um, there's like this, uh, there's this meat freezer. Um, he walks over to it, he opens it, and this is where jump scare number two, like full jump scare for me, number two came in. This is the biggest jump scare that actually gets me and still gets me like every time, yeah. even though I know it's coming. 40, about the 46 minute mark. The body of pam is in the freezer and she's obviously still like nerves are still firing in some regard because she all of a sudden pops out of the freezer and is just wiggling almost like having like a seizure and he's like freaking out and then leatherface walks in like just off camera and bashes him in the head with a hammer and it's such a good misdirect too because you see pam and again she's like kind of blue already so you think like oh no there's her oh shit and then all of a sudden like she's like popped out and then out of fucking nowhere leatherface again just like you have that distraction of you know dealing with pam and then all of a sudden leatherface is just on this dude again just the body contortions she was making creeped me out like leatherface popping into the scene and killing him didn't bother me because honestly you could kind of tell that leatherface was about to walk in and kill him what creeps me out and got me so bad in this scene was the way her body was moving and kind of just the odd noises or lack of noises rather even she was making and so after he whacks the other guy he stuffs her back into the freezer closes it and i think that's all we see of that scene right he just hits that guy once in the head with the hammer and then stuffs the body back in and then it cuts back to franklin and sally yep we can assume he gets just taken care of off screen now it's starting to be nighttime. It's the sun's starting to set, and Franklin is freaking out. They keep they keep calling out, and that's when Franklin's doing the, the, the annoying voices and annoying shouts and Sally. <laughs> yep, yep. Honestly, I kind of wrote down at one point. I thought Franklin was the voice of reason, in that I would have just stayed at the fucking car. I mean, honestly, I, I would have probably left and gone to look for help, like the police or something at that point. I wasn't certainly going to go, like, walking out into the field looking for these people. Sally's like, look, we need to go find him. Like, it's getting dark. This is getting ridiculous. We need to leave. Uh, so let's go find them. And Franklin's, like, fighting back against it. But then finally, like, he's like, fine. 
what's go together and she's like okay fine so they start going in to like and i mean this is this movie captures what rural nighttime is is very much like like uh, the area that i live in yeah the area i live in right now it's fairly suburbia but they uh they're doing like energy saving programs here so there's very little street light the surrounding area around it is kind of rural and even here in the middle of a suburban neighborhood it's fucking dark outside when you don't have street lights around so it is dark they can only see like a yard at most in front of them and they're walking and she's pushing him and like they're just having like a like they're calling their names out of the other characters 52 minute mark this was the third jump scare fucking the light just out of nowhere zooms in on leatherface's fucking creepy ass mask and then the chainsaw noise, like, it goes from quiet to loud like that. And he just starts going into Franklin. just And Franklin's just sitting there in his wheelchair. Can't do anything. And he is just going into Franklin as Sally screams. Sally, I hear something. Stop. Stop. Now we have like an eight minute chase scene, like where Leatherface is going after Sally. This movie stays super intense and super uneasy for eight straight minutes as Leatherface is chasing her through the field to the house. She runs up the stairs of the house instead of going down like the hallway like the other three characters did. She runs up the upstairs. She gets to like this attic area and there's more dead bodies and i think grandpa is up there it's it's specifically grandma and grandpa yeah and grandma's dead (laughs) and you notice how their their little room is completely clean and they're just sitting in their little rocking chairs and you even get to see one of the little doggies that's also dressed up and you think they're just you know they're both dead little do we know that grandpa's not quite all the way dead the chase is eight minutes long and they go in the house, Marilyn Burns jumps through a window, and then they're back out of the house. She's running through the woods some more. So this is like an eight minute long chase scene, but I would argue that, you know, from the point in which he pops, Leatherface pops up in the woods, the movie does not let down from that point. It is just non-stop ratcheted tension. Even when it slows back down a little bit, it's it's still 211 in terms of tension. Yeah, cuz you're you're thick in the middle of this nightmare family from here on out. The rest of the movie is oh, yeah. you experiencing with Sally the nightmare family. She gets all the way to back to the barbecue place, the gas station barbecue place, runs inside and Leatherface is right behind her this entire time. Chainsaw is going, chainsaw is blaring. She opens the door, gets in, shuts the door. You don't hear Leatherface anymore. The chainsaw is gone. You don't hear him. And it's the cook. It's the guy from earlier in the movie that was friendly enough to them. Like he was a little odd, but he was friendly enough to them, offered them barbecue, told them that gas wasn't coming, but if they waited around long enough, it'd probably arrive soon. At first, like he's like, whoa, whoa, calm down. He's acting kind of normal. Like, you know, chill out. He looks through at the, uh, like, he opens the door and looks outside to check to see it's safe. As you can see this coming, slowly and slowly, he starts saying creepy things. He smiles at her in a really creepy manner. And, like, then Sally starts looking around and she zooms in on the barbecue 
and the barbecue's like dripping because uh, it's it, it's still in the oven going and everything and it starts clicking in her head that something's not right with this guy either and by then it's too little too late he attacks her with a broom which i will say i did write down the barbecue guy is way less intimidating than leatherface however he gets the upper hand on her and knocks her out with a piece of the broomstick uh, or dazes her enough to tie her up then he puts her like puts a sack over her and throws her in his truck and the whole time he keeps saying really creepy shit like no oh, just calm down it's going to be all right just you calm down now if you calm down this will be all over soon it'll you'll, you'll be okay and he's he's l- He's poking her with the broom handle and just yep. laughing, just like grinning ear to ear and just kind of laughing to himself as she's just like screaming in his truck and he's just poking her. And that's like ultimate, like that little small plot twist with the cook being involved is great. Uh, there's nothing better than your entire trust in society being turned upside down and just no one's here to help you. Like any kind of movie that does that where you think you can trust the police or you think you can trust your family or you think you can trust these institutions of society and those are the first people who are going to like turn around and be monsters just that element is always great because yeah just there are so many moments where sally thinks that she has gotten to safety and then turns out nope yeah and as he's driving her along the road he starts muttering and like he's like oh that stupid son of a bitch and he's saying stuff like that and then (laughs) then we see then we see the hitchhiker from earlier. He gets out of his truck, as, and Sally, again, like he was saying, Sally doesn't stop screaming. Actually, I wanted to ask you, do you think Marilyn Burns was screaming that, like, this entire time? Oh, yeah, she totally, I guarantee you she was, because there's so many stories from the making of this movie and the set, and just everybody that made this movie, like, literally went through hell making it. It was the middle of Texas summer, you know, they didn't, like, dress it up. They didn't, like, go and film it in, the, like, the three or four weeks of cold that we have down in the south. Um, it's the middle of the summer. There is so much actual rotting carcass meat in that house that that entire house absolutely stinks to high heavens. And there's all the, like, heavy set lights that are super hot, and that's just mixing with that stink, and it's stifling... And everybody is working nights at this point. Again, yeah, Marilyn Burns is just screaming the entire time. Like, nobody's comfortable. Gunnar Hansen, the guy that plays Leatherface, he literally, like, never washed the clothes that he had for the movie. So his clothes were foul. Like, everybody went through hell making this movie. So it doesn't surprise me if we knew that Marilyn Burns just like went crazy legitimately by the end of making this and that all that screaming is like her just slowly sliding into that chaos in real life you know I I love to like right when the cook gets home and you know like you said he's initially like berating the hitchhiker because he's like oh boy where you been all day um but i love when he like when they walk up to the house and all he has to say is just look what your brother did to the door and he's just like screaming just like look what this son of a bitch did and yeah because you think about it and the whole time that leatherface was chasing marilyn burns earlier he's just tearing the house up <laughs> he's just chainsawing yeah. through fucking everything in the house and smashing shit 
the first confrontation with the cook and the hitchhiker that's when you start like i mean it's pretty obvious at this point but they spelled out for you that this is a full family. Yeah. Like Leatherface is the brother, the hitchhiker, and then their dad is the cook. The the cook is taking on like a very weirdly fucked up father figure type of role at this point. Like whenever he interacts with the, the, the hitchhiker and when he, they get back to the house and he interacts with Leatherface, they get all the way back to the house. He tells the hitchhiker to deal with Marilyn Burns and like tie her up and everything, get her quote unquote ready for dinner. And then he goes in and he berates Leatherface and Leatherface at this point, is in drag basically or at least he's wearing like an apron and he's acting almost like a weirdly like a mother figure at this oh, point. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like being the being the the one getting the meal together and dad's dad's home from work and mom's got to cook the dinner. That's that's the traditional American family, right? And even his grunts are now like more high pitched like mm-hmm. he's trying to be more feminine and like he berates him for like, did you take care of all of them? Did you take care of all of them? And Leatherface oh, just points oh, to the... F- yeah, yeah. Oh, got to work here. Oh, oh. Yeah. It's just these weird, yeah. like, childish noises coming from him. And he points to the freezer, and then... So then we we get to the dinner scene. And the dinner scene, in terms of just sheer fucked upness, is the probably the most fucked up part of the movie, in my opinion, at least. They roll out Sally Burns. She's tied up. She's screaming, freaking out, getting to the point where she's begging them, like, I'll do anything, just please let me live. And she's tied up to a literal armchair. Yes. It is a chair that literally has, like, two women's arms actually, like, wired to the frame of the fucking chair. And then she is now, like, tied to that. And so she's tied, and they, like, they start getting in arguments like it's a family dinner. Like, the hitchhiker and the dad start getting in, or the cook start getting in an argument uh again of just like and the the hitchhiker's like we take care of the messes we're the one who do all the killing you just cook and like then the dad starts flipping i was like i do more than just cook blah blah blah. just because i I hate the killing part i do the cooking and um so then you're like you're like putting it together like okay these are cannibals as well on top of everything else but then like as sally is freaking out more and again, Marilyn Burns must have blown out her vocal cord with the amount of screaming she did nonstop. Um, they start taunting her. Leatherface starts like slowly creeping up to her and like touching her. And the hitchhiker like goes up to her and is mocking her, and be like, "Oh, please save me!" Oh, and he starts mocking her. That goes on for a little while. Again, maddening shots. We forgot to circle back around to uh, Grandpa. So before they start eating dinner, um, after they get Sally tied up, they go upstairs and get Grandpa, which that's great that they care for elderly family members the way that they do. But the hitchhiker literally was like, Leatherface, get up here and help me, you know, get Grandpa. Why don't they just keep Grandpa downstairs at this point, right? Like, he's in a wheelchair, so they have to, like, literally haul this giant crickety wooden wheelchair down the stairs. Why don't they just keep Grandpa downstairs? Because he has his room with Grandma. Yeah. That's totally the answer, too. It's just like, well, just that's their room, and that's where they gotta stay, don't you know? And their fucked up psycho brains, yes, that makes sense. That's their room. And again, it's hinted at earlier that you think Grandpa's dead. Oh, yeah. Grandpa looks so much like a fucking corpse that you literally think he's dead. Yeah. And uh, so they wheel him in, and is this one that, like, it's real? Like, right when he's wheeled in, does he start making small movements? Or is it, like, when they get to the scene where they cut open Marilyn Burns' finger? Yeah, correct. It's it's when they have him downstairs, they cut Marilyn Burns' finger, and they stick 
her finger with like a little rivulet of blood into grandpa's mouth Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden grandpa starts sucking on her finger and he starts kind of twitching in his wheelchair a little bit and you see him kind of pumping his arms just in that like yay kind of way and he's kind of grooving a little bit and that's when you realize like oh my fucking god this is this is alive this dude is alive and he's sucking this girl's finger like ugh. And the costu- the costuming and makeuping of the grandpa makes it even worse because he like like he, Mansfield's not kidding when he said that this guy looks like a fucking corpse. There's no bones about it. Yeah, and they keep going on and they keep hinting at like the cook and keep saying like he was the original. He's 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 a true killer like he knows how to do it they're like here we'll 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 let grandpa be the one to end your life basically because he's an expert and he can do it real quick and you won't feel a thing and so they wheel out this bucket put sally's head over it they start putting this hammer in grandpa's hand to like hammer in and like bash her head in but he's so weak and feeble and he's still kind of twitching and stuff that the hammer keeps like falling out of his hand or he's like weakly just like hitting her head but like he's still fuck like it's still fucked up and like torturous to her and uh, but obviously like he's too old now at this point that he can't do it and then they start laughing especially the hitchhiker like it's a big mockery of just we're going to basically play with our food before we kill it Sally gets her arms free like pushes the chair in the way uh, pushes ga- grandpa the way pushes the chair out of the way and gets just enough of a head start from them that she starts running and she gets out of the house and the hitchhiker and Leatherface take off of her. By the way, too, as soon as she exits the house, she literally jumps through another window. She jumps through yep. two windows in this movie to get out of this fucking house. Yeah, jumps through a window. And when she's outside, that's when you see that it's like bright out and that it's morning. And so she's been there all night, like been in this extreme circumstances she starts running leatherface and the hitchhiker are running after her leatherface has the chainsaw and it's going the entire time it's another intense chase scene uh the hitchhiker is much faster because obviously he's not he's not holding the chainsaw and everything he's taunting her he's he's clearly just like running around her and taunting her while she's hobbled and hurt her leg and he could have just caught her at any given moment Mr. Hubris meets an untimely end because they make it to the highway. There's an 18-wheeler coming down the road, and we see, at one point we see the perspective. The camera shot is like from the trucker's perspective, and you see this woman who is like covered in blood, and this this fucked up hillbilly guy with a knife like cutting at her back. So the trucker who I wrote down as the true hero of this entire movie and totally. the smartest smartest person in this movie easily totally runs over the hitchhiker like swerves out of the way of 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 Marilyn Burns character runs over the hitchhiker kills him then Leatherface comes out and starts attacking them so he gets him and Sally get back into the 18 wheeler like they use 18 wheeler almost like a shield to shield Leatherface uh from them and he closes the door Leatherface is starting to go after the door with the chainsaw they go, crawl out the other door. At this point, a pickup truck is coming down the road. The trucker just runs the fuck off. Like, he makes sure, like, Sally's, like, okay. Like, and she, like, runs over to the uh, runs over to the truck. But, yeah, where does that truck driver go? I always wondered that. Yeah. That dude uh, just kept books running. It. He just books it. And so he runs off screen, and you never see him again. And she jumps into this. Uh, she jumps into the bed of this pickup truck of this this random passerby, and they start 
hauling it, driving off, and Leatherface is like, it's almost like Leather, Leatherface is like a dog chasing a car at this point. Like, he almost catches up to it, but it's a car, speeds off, accelerates. She starts laughing hysterically, because, like, she escaped, she lived, she is the final girl in this situation. And she's, like, just so, at this point, mentally drained that she can only laugh hysterically, and it's really... In a, into itself, it's also kind of a fucked up shot because she's covered in her own blood. At this point, too, Leatherface also, at one point, uh, the trucker, again, why he's such a hero, he throws like a wrench or something at Leatherface. Grabs a giant wrench and just hooks it at Leatherface and nails him in the head. Yeah, nails him in the head. Leatherface falls down. The chainsaw cuts into Leatherface's leg, and you almost you hear like a oddly human type scream, like a scream that you heard from the victims earlier in the movie. And, like, he injures himself, and so... she. But anyway, she's driving off and laughing hysterically, covered in blood. It's a really fucked up scene. And then the movie, the last shot is of Leatherface just waving the chainsaw around, like, in pure rage, like like a, ch- uh, like a child throwing a tantrum, basically. He's waving it around, almost like he's in the, open this fucking pit, we're gonna mosh. And then the movie just sudden cut to, to black, like, as he, like with him screaming and waving a chainsaw around. I like to think it's a little more romantic than that. I like to think that, you know, the sun's coming up, it's another gorgeous Texas day, and, you know, it's just another day for Leatherface to be dirt people and he's just happy to be Leatherface and he's dancing with his chainsaw and spinning around with it twirling it around and having a good old little time you know dancing while no one's watching (laughs) yeah so that is a general summary of of the events of the movie like we mentioned earlier if you have if you have not seen this movie if you are any bit of a horror fan at all You've got to watch this movie. The The amount of influence this movie has had on everything. I was even playing a, like a month or two ago. I beat Resident Evil 7. The first five hours of Re- Resident Evil 7 are basically Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a, in a Louisiana version instead of a Texas house. It's, it's a, a house in the middle of a swamp. In fact, spoilers for Resident Evil 7. So if you want to play it, you know, skip ahead about 20 seconds. The first bo- true boss fight you have the guy is wielding a fucking chainsaw at one point. So it, it's, they, they're not hiding the fact that this movie had a massive influence on their development. I mean, even stuff like silent Hill, the, the soundtrack of silent Hill games is very much like the soundtrack that you hear in Texas chainsaw massacre. Just that like Mansfield mentioned auditory abstract, real kind of just weird, fucked up, uneasy noises. There's no score. You know, there's no traditional score. It's just all these oral, abstract kind of patterns and expressions. There's just lots of industrial noise. There's lots of noise that just sounds like taut wire that somebody's just scraping a shovel across. Like somebody taking a wrench and just banging it on the, like, weird innards of a rusty old car like there's just so much weird noise that's unsettling in this movie that really does add a lot to the overall feel because again you feel you feel like you're watching a snuff film you feel like you're watching something you shouldn't be watching because removing the element of music takes away some of that cinematic feel so you instantly feel like you're watching something that's like real that you shouldn't be watching and all the kills again they feel weirdly realistic which makes it even more uneasy 
Um, I mean, maybe the most over-the-top kill is Franklin getting chainsawed, but even then, you only really see the back, like, his back as he's getting chainsawed. And again, you never see any, like, really fresh gore. You see, like, a little bit of, like, you know, some blood squirting on the leather face in that moment, but it's, you don't have just, like, guts flying out, you know? You don't see, like ridiculous amounts of gore because you're not seeing anything essentially you're just seeing a cutaway of Gunnar Hansen with a chainsaw and then somebody off camera is just you know squirting strawberry syrup on him yeah so that is Texas Chainsaw Massacre um for you scaredy cats like myself out there I would say that this is actually a good movie to start off with if you want to dip your toes into horror um, unless, unless you are like Mansfield where more realistic type horror gets you. Um, but if you're not, if you're more like me where the demons and the ghosts are what bother you, this is a great horror movie to start off with. I only got th- jump scared three times. You could possibly maybe get jump scared four times, four or five times. As far as a, a horror movie goes, this is the type of horror I love. Tension, uneasiness, atmospheric horror, and then just bad shit crazy moments when they count and then as an actual movie i mean this is this is just a flawless movie it's it's a classic for a reason i would give this as far as jump scares go about a three or a four out of ten out of general creepiness i'd give this a 10 out of 10 and then overall as a movie i'd give it like a solid nine nine point five out of ten i mean it's just fucking fantastic yeah i mean as much as this movie is specifically the type of horror that affects me personally this is one of my all-time favorites just hands down i I have such a love for toby hooper and all of his work this movie 100 like you could get rid of everything else in his filmography and he would still be you know a name that would be up there on that horror mount rushmore because of texas chainsaw and the effect that it had on pop culture as a whole i mean we literally cannot look at chainsaws anymore without having this in the back of our heads to a degree or another you know this movie works specifically because it takes the like gross mundanity of the entire middle chunk of america just anything that's like rural outside of the city limits where the grass is tall And there's rusty chunks of car and trash and gross houses where you know, like, there's bad shit going on. It completely reflavors all of that every time that you see it on the side of the road. And again, you know, this movie's affected because this is something that could easily happen again. Like, it's happening somewhere right now in America. They say, like, there's, like, what, a dozen active serial killers at any point in time across the country you know how do we know that this isn't just going on right now it's happened multiple times where we've had just awful shit like this going on so there's just always that fear in the back of your head because you know it could happen to you it has happened before this is not some kind of wild out there thing and there's nothing supernatural or alien or otherworldly about the entire situation that's why this movie is as effective as it is there's a general sense of unease through the filmmaking um, but it also really just captures that fear of people who have too much time on their hands let's just put it that way i think it also answers the question um how many bones is too many bones to have in your house um (laughs) so yeah if it's cow bones or something that's okay just how many human bones is it okay to have in your house and if you aren't a doctor or scientist that bought at least human skeleton for research or something, I'd say zero. 
You should have zero. Yep. You either have to be some kind of, like, old-timey doctor that still sees patients at your house, and you have a creepy skeleton that you can, like, point to, or you have to be, like, you know, Janine Garofalo from Mystery Men and just have your dad's skull in a bowling ball, because otherwise, anything else is just fucking unacceptable. True that, but... So, would in your opinion, is this a perfect horror movie? 100%. At one, 100%, this is going to be in that top tier. We are not going to just go full bore and knock out all the big hits right away. Um, We have some episodes planned in the near future where we're going to be looking at some modern movies that have gained some notoriety. We're going to be looking at some older movies. Um, We're looking at things that are kind of all over the horror spectrum, Um, but I want to try to space out these big seminal movies and just kind of do, you know, one of them every couple of months you know we it's gonna be a while before we get around to the exorcist or hellraiser or you know anything that's you know fairly huge so we're gonna kind of get off the beaten path a little bit and hopefully turn people on to some stuff that's new and interesting yeah well i want to thank you for this being the first episode because this is something i i could handle fairly well and i am not looking forward to the more modern horror that relies a lot more heavily on jump scares we'll see how i do moving forward and on that note you've been listening to watch if you dare i am aaron mansfield and with me always is derek day one smith We want to give a big shout out to my little brother, Jesse Mansfield, a.k.a. Party Gator, for recording our opening music and closing music. Uh, Definitely give his stuff a listen over at uh, Bandcamp. You can find him on Party Gator. Um, So big props to him for getting that set up for us. Check out our social media pages on Facebook and Twitter. Download future episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, etc., And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We are brand new to this podcast game. We are amateurs, so please spread the word. Uh, Recommend the show to anyone you know who is into horror movies, horror culture, etc. Because we definitely want to share our love for it with you all. Again, you've been listening to Watch If You Dare. Where we get spooked every week by watching scary movies. We're all scaredy cats when the lights go off. Alright guys, that's it. Have a great week and we will spoop you later. Lock your doors.